Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome to Country Life here on Midlands 103. MJ Cleary with you for the next hour. Bring you the latest from the Midlands and further afield from the world of food, farming and agribusiness on what is the 6th of December 2023. And it is definitely thawing over the last day or so. Thankfully, the frost and freezing conditions, they weren't too bad at the weekend after all. Road conditions were, for the most part, okay. No huge issues with freezing water pipes either around houses or cattle sheds. It's rain for the next few days with low pressure sticking around until the early days of next week and a cool and wet blustery evening this evening is what it is. It's a winter's evening, no doubt about that. Now, on the programme, I will be speaking to Aidan Brennan from the Irish Farmers Journal. At this time of the year, paperwork for slurry movement from farm to farm is something that becomes the priority. Aidan will chat about that and also an overview on the recent Chagas economic outlook from a dairy perspective. Each year, the Ag Consultants Association released their Farmer's Handbook for the upcoming year. You'll know this book. You may indeed have a little edition at home. They're a maroon colour and they contain the world of information. Everything from TAMS to income tax to succession rules. You name it and it is in it. Very useful little book, I have to say. And Martin O'Sullivan is heavily involved with the publication of the handbook. You'll know Martin from his weekly articles in the Farming Independent. Martin will join me towards the end of the programme to chat about this year's edition and where you can get your hands on it. Uh, Knackeries, unfortunately, are part and parcel of farming life. Thankfully, somewhere we don't have to use too much at this time of the year. However, a fatality can still occur. And at the moment, it's a bit of a stalemate. Knackeries are striking and TJ Marr from the IFA joins me to update this story for you a little bit later. Now, this time of the year is when farmers are anxiously waiting direct payments to try and meet end of year bills. So if you are an acres farmer and as 46,000 people are, then it more than likely is that you are indeed in the scheme. Uh, Hugh Farrell from the ICSA will join me to chat about whether or not you can expect your payment this side of Christmas. That news has just, it's just out of hot off the press last couple of hours that has been announced. So stay tuned and Hugh will uh, let you know whether you're going to be getting your acres payment uh, this year or not. As always, text me on 083 30 10 103, either a text or a WhatsApp and I'd be happy to bring to my guests here this evening. Now, to start this evening, I have another Martin who works for the Farming Independent. That's Martin Coughlin from County Waterford. Going to talk about the trade to us. Martin, many thanks for taking my call this evening. Thank you very much, Michael. And by the way, before we get started, a very packed programme, it sounds like. And you are, you've bookended it with uh, with myself at one end and Martin O'Sullivan at the other end, both of us from Carrick and Shore. Uh, both from Carrick and Shore. I wasn't sure. I was talking to Martin O'Sullivan yesterday. I actually thought he was... Um, yes. I, I didn't realise he was from your neck of the woods, uh, Martin. But as I said... He is, uh, he is, he is. But yes, farming independent to start, farming independent to finish. Starting off, Martin, it is, look, first week of December. It's a relatively good news story. We start with uh, with factory prices. Uh, factories hungry for stock. Uh, how are uh, farmers feeling with uh, the prices are being paid? Well, it's like this. Farmers have no choice but to take whatever the price has been offered. Yes, granted, the price has come up about 10 of 20 cents even, I'd say, over the last three weeks. Uh, I know of Angus cattle, and that's where, and I had this in the paper on Tuesday, yesterday, um, 5.30 flat, all in uh, Angus bonus, 
quality assurance, the whole lot. I also had uh, deals where uh, Continental Bullocks and Heifers were sold for, well, the, the Heifers were sold for a flat, well, sorry, for a base price of 480 but the base price was also the bottom price, if you follow where I'm going with that, which meant that no animal got less than 480 and if there was more to be paid, they got that as well on, on the grid, which wasn't a bad deal. Uh, in, in, some, in some respects, 475 the same deal was available for uh, men with Bullocks, so I'm told good Good, good heavy cattle. Trade going very well in the marts. Ironically enough, though, factory prices are no stronger uh, now for, for beef than what they were 12 months ago, although mark prices are probably 50 to 60 euros ahead uh, for the run, I should say, uh, than what they were um, this, time, this, than this time 12 months ago. So that, like, that is the, the, the situation. As far as a good news story will be concerned... The question is, uh, are those men who are now feeding cattle in the sheds going to get paid for it? At 5.30, if they were to get 5.30 flat for it in, you know, whenever they would be, would be selling, I'm told that's going to be no good, that the base price is going to have to be 5.40, minimum, absolute minimum. Now, whether that will happen or not is, of course, another day's work because as I had a, a piece in the paper where uh, one gentleman I was talking to finishes an awful lot of believes that the factories hung the finishers out to dry twice in the last 12 months. The first was last January and February when they told them that beef was going to be scarce in May and June and when the time came, there was no shortage, no increase in price and actually prices actually fell. But these men had driven on prices in January and February, paid big money for these cattle in the expectation that they were going to get paid for it. It never happened. Um, then you move on to August and prices, uh, men have, have sold cattle off of grass. They're going to be putting, going in for winter finishing and what have you, or maybe another twist, a brief shot at grass again, maybe for six weeks or so. And uh, a lot of bigger finishers and feedlots were advised, I'm told by uh, processors, not to buy uh, stock immediately, that mark prices might further soften. Um, this didn't in reality actually happen. And what we now have is we have very strong mark prices driven because of the fact that those who should have bought in August and September decided not to on the advice, I'm told, that they were given. They are now in competition with those men who sold in the month of October and November. So there's not enough cattle to go around in the marts in some respects. Yeah, I'm just looking at uh, Mart bids here from Burr uh, on uh, Monday this week, uh, Martin. And uh, lighter cattle are you know just taking two random uh, prices from it. I see uh, three ninety kilo Hereford heifer uh, made eight fifty. That's two sixteen a kilo. Three ninety kilo Angus heifer made two thirty a kilo. Uh, so you're talking, I suppose, looking average of in around two twenty a kilo for your dairy bred stock, which is like it's fine. Uh, but three ninety, they're they're a decent lump of a store animal. Like it's okay, but as you go higher up the uh, hierarchy then and to the bigger weights that's where you really see the benefit a 655 kilo uh, Hereford Heifer made 1670 that's 254 mm. a kilo so if you have weight mm-hmm. you're getting up to those kind of factory prices of that kind of 530 flat you're not a million miles off that at 254 so it goes to yeah, show you the, the bigger you... animals are commanding good money yeah 655 I'm just looking here um at the price is actually from 12 months ago in relation to Hereford and Angus and you're, you're 500 to oh sorry you said 655 sorry I was going to quote 265 which was the average price for your better 500 to 600 kilo 
Yeah, well, you're, you're still, you're not, you're, yeah, you're not a million miles yeah. off it there, 254, you know what I mean? Yeah. But um, that, that yeah. money we're talking about, Martin, you're saying, like, farmers are going to need more. It sounds, you know, it's it's decent, but then again, input prices where they are, meal where they are. Um, finishers are going to want every single penny of it and more. They, 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 like, they will, right? But I, I've emphasised this before, right? And I've mentioned it several times, and I mentioned it again in the paper. The difference between the price of a 360 kg, our, our great bullock, uh, our, our heifer, between here and, and Britain at the moment, is around 300 euros a head. Okay? And that's allowing for the fact that prices here actually come up a little bit. Now, there has been, I have mentioned it, and various other publications have mentioned it as well, and periodically you might hear something from the farm organisations. We're completely ineffectual in this country in trying to bring this question as to why in Northern Ireland and in the UK prices are so far ahead of where they are actually here. There's a lot of money in this particular equation, like 300 euros an animal is an awful lot of money. And the question has to be asked, why is that? What, like, why has this not been brought uh, to possibly the Agricultural Committee in the Dáil or it being brought up in the Dáil? Because we are geographically on the same island as Ireland. Like, Ireland, Ireland is uh, um, one entire landmass, one country. And effectively, uh, like, why? Because there's a line on a map. It's a question, Martin, that's been asked for as long as I'm doing the programme and there's been as much of an answer to it as there is to this I'm one. I'm asking there's... the question of the farm organisations as to why they have failed completely in what I believe is their duty to try and ask these type of questions at a meaningful level like, and try and get decent answers. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's not in, in my way of looking at it. It's not right, like that. This can be the difference into what our ma- our major market is, and people may cr- criticise the factories and the processors. They're in the job of making money, and by God, they're doing a, a very good uh, job of doing that at the moment, right? Um, but they are they're able to possibly use the situation as it is at the minute to make a very very large profit, but. I just, I have nothing against them making the profit. It's just that it should be passed back to the primary producers, to to the man finishing the cattle, the man breeding the cattle, the suckler man, like the dairy man who keeps the few calves. And God help us, there's not really enough of them doing that maybe anymore. Um, you know, that everybody gets a cut out of this. But if we don't ask, if the farm organisations and people like me don't ask questions, I wonder what fate, what future is there for the beef finishing industry in Ireland. Yeah, no, 100%, Martin, and uh, you're speaking to the converted here. Everyone needs a good shake of it the whole way back. The last one I'll ask you just before you finish is uh, sheep uh, prices are rising on the run-up to Christmas. Uh, The hallowed uh, figure of seven euros a kilo is is coming coming up. It's been touted, yeah. Uh, Yeah. uh, It is. uh, Will farmers see it? yeah, well, look, the reality is prices in Kildare Chilling and, and, and in uh, Dawn Meats went back up this week, but they had been pulled last week, like. And uh, the situation is that prices now, uh, just looking back over 12 months ago, are not, I think, from what I can see here, any better now than what they were 12 months ago. Well, like, so uh, is the seven euros possible? It possibly is to be perfectly straight about it because the way I look at it is when they when they reduced the price by 10 cents and then the following week they put it back up again it indicated to me they weren't getting enough lamb
or they weren't getting enough suitable lamb. And there have been stories circulating like that up to uh, €6.80 was paid uh, for lamb last week. Now, it might have been specialised uh, orders or specialised weights, but the reality of it is I'm told it was paid. Yeah, so fingers crossed stays moving in that direction. Martin, I won't have you on. I'm going to to have to go just before our our break. I won't have you on again in 2023. So on behalf of myself and the listeners here, I get lots of positive feedback about your segments with us all year long. So I want to say many thanks and to have a nice Christmas. We speak to you again in 2024, Okay. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very, very much. And happy Christmas and happy New Year to yourself and to all your listeners. Uh, Martin Cotlin there from the Farming Independent and uh, Martin a very passionate beef man himself uh, contract reared finished cattle for years and years and uh, he, when he gets going uh, in relation to beef prices he's a hard man to stop at times but we're well used to him on the programme Martin visits me usually about once a month I have to say and a very very knowledgeable man on all, all areas of beef but uh, he's wondering about the price differential between the Republic and between Northern Ireland and why it's so strong and why the farm organisations don't have a salient answer for it and indeed it is a good question there's no question about it uh, now coming up after the break Aidan Brennan from the Irish Farmers Journal is going to join us he's going to talk about slurry movement from farm to farm so if slurry movements have been done earlier in the year uh, the paperwork has to get in by the 31st of December there's a nice bit of um, detail and mechanics in relation to this so Aidan's going to run through it with us in just a moment so stay tuned Country Life on Midlands 103 brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands worshaw.ie and you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now we're moving on to dairy and the whole area of slurry and slurry movement at this time of the year. Uh, Aidan Brennan joins me from the Irish Farmers Journal. Aidan, many thanks for taking my call this evening. No worries, Andrew. Uh, so Aidan, this is one that comes up this time of the year. So farmers may have moved uh, slurry earlier in the year uh, to neighbouring farmers or lowlier stock farmers or indeed tillage farmers, whatever the case may be. But uh, if they're not in derogation, derogation is kind of a separate one. We'll talk about that in a second. If they're not in derogation, paperwork, I believe, has to go in by the 31st of December. So there's normally a big rush on it over the next couple of weeks. Just a couple of things on this, Aidan, to iron out. The big thing is uh, soil samples, uh, firstly. If the a dairy farmer, for example, is moving slurry into a neighbouring farm, uh, does he or she have to have soil samples? It depends on uh, what stocking rate that farm importing the slurry is at. So my understanding is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Andrea, I think it's either 130 or 150. My, my head has gone at the moment. Of a, of uh, a I believe it's 130, Ed. 130, Andrea, yeah. So if you're, if you're over 130 kilograms of organic nitrogen per hectare, so remember now every farm animal has an excretion rate for organic nitrogen. So it depends on how many animals you have divided then by the num- total number of hectares you have to get that figure. And uh, for most farmers, um, you know, they're somewhere between, I'd say the average is somewhere over one, between 130 and 170. Um, so if they're in that category, they will need to have soil samples taken in this year or, or in the last four years at least um, to show that there's a requirement for phosphorus on that land um, before they can take the slurry in. Because if they don't have that allowance, they can't really take in the slurry. Now, most farmers will have that allowance, but they may have made up for it already, MJ with chemical phosphorus that they purchased. So there's, it's, it's, like, it's all very technical, it's all very complicated, uh, and these are, there's new rules being added every year on this whole slurry exporting business. Um, and I suppose really you, you could argue that the department are trying to clamp down on the number of 
farmers that are uh, involved in exporting and indeed importing slurry. But at the same time, then the minister is saying it's probably going to be the first choice for farmers in the right shift irrigation. Yeah, well, it's funny. Funny you said yeah. because uh, obviously I was chatting to yesterday about about this uh, potential piece. Uh, these few minutes you're going to be talking to me about. Then I saw uh, it was Minister Coveney, former Minister of Agriculture, uh, either yesterday evening or this morning, uh, stating that um, tillage farmers, if they're in a position to take uh, slurry from dairy farmers, it's uh, it's the way to go basically. Because I suppose at the end of the day, the government they they still want to cover themselves from a, an EU perspective, and if farms can do it, they don't they want it. Uh, to be allowed if it's in the permitted rules so it's funny like it's it, there's a kind of a different message coming from uh, the powers that be if you will there is yeah and I mean I suppose uh, I look at this maybe biased from the dairy point of view but look at it at, on, on, on first principles the farm that's uh, exporting the slurry right so they have a nitrate problem in the sense that they are above 220 kilos of organic end per hectare so they need to remove some of their nitrate by exporting slurry but there is more than just nitrates and slurry there's phosphorus, there's potash, and there's organic matter. And in the main, MJ, and we've been on the show before talking about soil fertility, soil fertility is low across the country and all farms, including dairy farms. So this, these dairy farmers then that are exporting their slurry, they're also exporting these valuable nutrients that they need on the farm. So soil fertility is going to become depleted over time um, as a result of this policy, which doesn't make any sense then. You're going to have these farmers that are in the derogation or that are trying to avoid derogation by exporting slurry spending a fortune then on chemical fertilizer to bring up their soil fertility. You know, the extra cost, the impact on the environment, uh, carbon footprint and all the rest. So it, you know, this is now government policy. Like, it just, it just, for me, it doesn't make sense. You know, obviously, they're looking for an easy way out of the, the nitrates, the back end, and they're saying, well, farmers can export slurry. And they can, but there's a huge cost to it. And that's the point they're trying to make here. Yeah, I often find myself uh, in that the the figure of the north of 170 is just a bit of a head scratcher. Um, I know uh, back in the day I've been over 170 and exported slurry and I, I never felt I was massively heavily stocked uh, uh, at over 170. I was, I was up to 200 or 210 on years and uh, the farm could quite comfortably cope with it. And I always said to myself, where where did this 170 come from? Like, obviously science in inverted commas is, is behind it or whatnot. but different land types can cater for different amount of animals different farms can grow different amounts of grass it really is a, a bit of a head scratcher that it's just this one figure for the entire country of Ireland which has such a vast well, different amount of land type Yeah but the funny thing is MJ it's not, it's not really Ireland it's all Europe mm. and that's really the, why most farmers are really annoyed about this is that like you're, we're comparing how much grass we can grow in Ireland how much grass they can grow in the south of Spain uh, or, or, you know, northern Finland. So, like, you know, they might only grow two or three tonnes of grass per hectare per year. That's all they're capable of. So 170 kilogram of, N, of, of organic N limit there could be perfectly correct. But that's not to say that it's right in Ireland. And I suppose the Commission acknowledged that at the time that the nitrates came in and said that some countries about have a derogation to above that based on how much grass they can grow, the rainfall rates and all the rest. And now that derogation that we got at that time is under threat and it's been eroded. So that's why farmers are really angry about it. Uh, Aidan, the, Ch- the Chagas uh, annual report came out last week on incomes and 
dairy farms and tillage farms were the big talking points because they were the biggest losers in 2023. Dairy farm income down 60% to an average of €59,000. Now look, €59,000 is still not to be sneezed at. It's still a a good year's income. It's well in advance of any of the other areas of agriculture. However, um, again, uh, when you take your your cost base out of it, uh, dairy farmers aren't going to be, they're not going to be going on uh, world cruises, shall we say, at the end of 2023. No, whether they went to them last year or not, I don't know. But if they did, they might have enjoyed them. But they won't, they won't be able to pay for them this year anyway. Uh, look, 59000 of an expected income this year, look, it, compared to the other sectors, it, it's massive. But I suppose, look, they're, they're in the main, uh, dairy farmers are full-time farmers. So their own wages have to come out of that. Outside of that, then, there's, there's debt on dairy farms in the main as well. So uh, the, the principal repayments have to come out of it. And then there's tax. So that's another cost, I suppose, another yeah, source of funds, your uh, use of funds, I should say, that's, that's not accounted for in those progress figures. So when you combine the three of them together, like they will exceed, in many cases, that's 59,000 of an average. So the cash is going to be extremely scarce this year on dairy farms. The last couple of weeks have been very difficult because um, the, the massive tax bills of a carryover from last year, plus herds have dried off two or three weeks earlier than normal because of the bad weather. So, you know, if I'm hearing farmers that are saying that they're back 30, 40 kilos of insulin per cow compared to previous years and have fed more concentrate due to the bad weather. So it's a really bad year this year. Uh, and, and the mood and the morale among dairy farmers is very low, unfortunately, because of weather, bad milk prices uh, and all this talk of my threats. And I suppose they're feeling a lack of support from this government. Yeah, you could sense that down at the we were down to Plowing Championships uh, back in September here in County Leash, and I definitely sensed the air in the in the Plowing Championships that day was completely different to the previous year, and it was just a, a low level of morale, as you say. Um, in, uh, as dairy cows dried off those couple of weeks earlier, uh, animals it's hungry weather, as somebody said to me yesterday. How do you think uh, the feed situation is going to play out for uh, December, January, February? We're looking for an early spring, I'm guessing. Yeah, the, the, everyone will need an early spring at this stage because animals have been housed a couple of weeks earlier than normal. Um, the only saving grace I would say at the moment is is that animals are in good condition, you know, in general, uh, which maybe is defying expectations because the weather has been poor. But they were probably well fed up to now. They weren't producing that much, so they're they are keeping more of it on their back. So the farmers have an opportunity now maybe to restrict silage to what the cows need. We don't want cows getting too fat, and if they do that, then they might have enough to get them through into the spring depending on the weather so you, you just can't judge what way the weather will, go, will come this spring so I would say farmers should do a, um, a, a fodder budget number one measure how much silage you have in the yard now calculate how much they're going to use over the next couple of months and, and if they're going to be short take early action uh, last one, Aidan, uh, dairy farming yourself and obviously writing about dairy farming every week. It is the holiday time, holiday season for uh, dairy farmers now for the next few weeks. Cows dried off. Uh, any little piece of uh, advice or something you've come across that uh, you thought was a good one for dairy farmers maybe to uh, get a bit of R&R relaxation over the next few weeks? Yeah, well, I suppose it's it's important time to and, 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 to, and to chill out. It's been a difficult year, so a lot of farmers have dried off as you say, a lot earlier than normal. And I think that makes sense because you don't want to get burnt out. So look, I mean, once the cows are fed and, and watered, they're the main tasks at the moment. Like, as, and you know, But then there's obviously a bit of admin to be done. A lot of farmers are looking at um, you know, their, their costs for the year and getting figures together for profit monitors and so on. But look, in the main, I mean, you, you don't have to go up as early. Uh, you, can start, you can finish work earlier in the evening. Uh, I think it's, it's good to take a break. Uh, some farmers will head away for a few days 
uh, before Christmas. But look, it's it's you need to cherish these times because it'll be tough enough next spring. So definitely make the most of it when you have it, um, and and don't be killing yourself doing work. Hundred percent. Many thanks for joining me, Ed. We'll speak to you again in the program. Thanks, Andre. Uh, Aidan Brennan there from the Farmers Journal and if you are um, exporting slurry or you're indeed importing it the important figure is 130 kilos of nitrogen per hectare okay so if you are under that then soil samples aren't necessary uh, and if you're over it soil samples are necessary if you're taking in pea also the rules changed about uh, end of February I think last year where it was uh, 5 kilos of nitrogen per X amount of uh, slurry and that changed to 2.4 at half. So now essentially you have to export twice as much slurry to get the same amount of uh, nitrate out of your farm as you did this time last year. So look, it's a technical area. It's something you need an ag consultant or someone who's pretty up to date with it to give you a hand on it if that is occurring and if you have uh, moved slurry earlier in the year and you are filling in those forms obviously the 170 is the big one you have to be careful of with your nitrogen if you are uh, not in a derogation you need to be under that in order to not get a penalty on your single farm payment or your BIS or CRIS or whatever it's called now but your your basic payment Uh, now coming up after the break talking of payments Hugh Farrell from the ICSA is going to tell us when we can expect our acres payment and also TJ Matter from the IFA talks about what to do with fallen animals at the moment because knackeries are on strike so stay tuned Country Life on Midlands 103 brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands worshaw.ie You're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now, we're moving on and we'll have news on acres payments in a moment. But in advance of that, we are talking about knackeries and we have TJ Marr from the IFA on the line. TJ, many thanks for taking my call this evening. No problem. Thanks Thanks for ringing me. Uh, TJ, can you just give us a little bit of background here? What exactly is happening with knackeries around the country, please? Well, uh, in, in the most part, knackeries have indicated from last Friday that they would stop collecting uh, animals from farmers as soon as their bins were full uh, because of a dispute that has arisen uh, over the payment to renders uh, who take the product off of the knackeries uh, for the charges for rendering. Now, we have uh, been uh, talking to the department for over 12 months about the shortcomings in the uh, fallen animal collection services. Uh, unfortunately, uh, farmers are now caught in the middle of this, and we are very, very clear that farmers can't be held to ransom. Uh, we have been extremely frustrated that uh, every year for the last four years in the run-up to Christmas, early in the new year, uh, there's the possibility of a strike, or in this case, uh, a refusal to collect animals on the basis that their bins are full, uh, that farmers are left in a situation where they have nowhere to go with their animals and they are legally obliged uh, to have their animals removed off farm or else uh, ring the department and look for a burial licence, which is only granted in rare occasions. And what are the knackeries looking for, TJ? Obviously looking for more more money off the department. Is there a figure on it? Are they close to coming to a deal, or is it deadlock? My understanding is is that uh, that it's deadlock, but to be absolutely frank with you, uh, the department are absolutely culpable here for mismanagement in that uh, we have identified that there has been problems brewing here for a number of years, uh, that the, the system we believe is now set up is not fit for purpose and needs a radical overhaul. 
The problem we have at the moment is that farmers in a situation where they need an immediate short-term fix, where they need their animals to be collected off their farm. Like I unfortunately had a very disgruntled farmer on the phone to me on Saturday who had an animal, uh, he got a vet out to with a broken leg. He put, gave her painkillers for 24 hours to see could he get it somewhere in, uh, to, to collect her uh, when she was put down. And he says, what am I going to do? I can't leave this poor animal suffer. And I think this is the situation we face where farmers are left trying to do their best to look after their animals uh, that may or may not have come into ill health through no fault of their own or just through accidents as happens, particularly with ice that we had last week. It often happens that, that animals suffer injuries in those situations and farmers are left in an unenviable situation. So well, my advice to any farmer in that situation is to ring their local uh, veterinary office uh, and seek permission uh, for if, for smaller animals in particular for uh, burial on their farms um, if that can be provided or else for the department to provide an alternative how they're going to collect these dead animals from their farm because we simply cannot be left as the pawn in the middle. Yeah, no, absolutely TJ. A solution needs to be um, uh, brought to uh, very quickly for this because as you say we can't be in a position where animals are left uh, on farm. Look, we will keep on top of it TJ and I'll say many thanks for joining me and give us an update on it. Hopefully it comes to an end pretty quickly and uh, we'll speak to you again in the programme, okay? Thank you very much. And if we have any news, we'll certainly uh, inform farmers as quickly as possible. But, but I would encourage all farmers uh, to make that phone call to their DBO because, unfortunately, the way the world works is if local farmers aren't activating their local uh, regional offices, the message doesn't get up quick enough to Dublin. And I think we are extremely frustrated that the farmers have been left out hanging out to dry here. So thanks very much. Absolutely. Many thanks, TJ. And now moving on, it is payments this time of the year and acres. If you are a farmer in acres, 46,000 of you are, so more than likely you are uh, in the scheme. Will you be getting your payment before Christmas? Hugh Farrell from the ICSA has the good or the bad news. Hugh, are you going to be like Santa Claus for us now giving us presents or are you going to have bad news for us? Tell us. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll empty the bag first and then I'll run out and with the rest of well, there's nothing left. You know, like, so. Well, <laughs> what a rough shot. Uh, since I, I was speaking earlier on today, you will maybe about four o'clock, and uh, since then, uh, this has got front page news on the Farmers Journal. Uh, there's been uh, comments in from yourselves in the ICSA, comments in from the Department of Agriculture, so it's after blowing up, uh, so to speak. What is the, the news in a word, uh, Hugh? I'm in acres, am I getting my payment, yes or no? Well, two thirds of the ones that's in the regular acres it will be getting eighty five percent of their payment. The ones in the corporation, no, it's in February, but there is pressure on the minister and everyone to see them to work on that. So majority of farmers that you know will be safe enough. Yeah, so eighty five percent payments for two thirds. Now, not to be uh getting it complex, but if you're in acres, so sixty six percent of acres farmers, traditional acres farmers, are gonna be getting eighty five percent of their payment before Christmas. Is there any way of knowing, Hugh, whether you fall into that two thirds or if you're in the unlucky one third, or is it just random selection? Well, you see, they're uh, finalizing the that two thirds, maybe to get further on than there. If you have already got your best payment, that is nearly an automatic uh, signal that you will qualify. Do you know, like so? Hopefully, at this stage, nearly everyone has a best payment, or most of them do. So that is a big thing. And if you haven't, it's time to ring in the department or ring in some of ourselves, ourselves or whoever else to deal with. Or flagging it. And, 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 and as you say, Hugh, if you're in the cooperation 
stream, the C, the CP stream of acres. Some people are. Uh, you are not definitively going to be getting your payment until February 2024. That's disappointing for those farmers. Uh, just going to move on really quickly, Hugh, because I'm, I'm under a bit of time pressure. There was a headline on the Farmer's Journal about two weeks ago, which I had meant to bring attention to on the programme. We just didn't have time. But it was essentially saying that if you're in a certain area of the country and it was a TB hot spell, hot spot I should say you could essentially be landlocked down in that area and you might be able to buy or sell into other areas what is the news on that Hugh did that go ahead or hopefully it didn't well no 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 we had a few meetings on that we had a meeting by lots of meetings each organization with the scientific group and the department and out of that this decision was no one go running with or one in favour it went to a TB forum and it was a majority by far, that wasn't what it was. They looked at doing a national programme, which is more or less the same as what we're doing as it is, so that's no different. Because we couldn't afford to have different farmers getting caught in different far, uh, counties and devaluing the cattle and can't trade. And it was going to destroy trade and a lot of animals. It was going to bring us back 40, 50 years when I remember it was uh, going to fair on March and my Like You couldn't go from county to county. We don't have to be going back, so we have to go forward. So we have to continue where we are and work with the national program as we are without this regionalisation. Yeah, so, so, so thank, thank, thankfully, Hugh, a bit of common sense used there. As you say, we don't want to be going backwards and TB rules are stringent enough. Hugh, unfortunately, I just have to go to a break. But I'm going to say many thanks for those two pieces of news, Acres and TB, and uh, we'll speak to you again on the program, OK? I'm sure there's more time to start next time. Thanks, uh, MJ. Thanks for Thanks, calling. Hugh. Thank you. Uh, Hugh Farrell there from the ICSA and uh, Acres. Uh, look, you have a, t- a, two, a 66%, you have a two out of three chance you're going to get your payment before Christmas. Well, 85% of your payment, but if you're in the CP, uh, you won't be getting it until uh, February. That doesn't affect as many people. So, fingers crossed, it lands here before Christmas. Payments badly needed this year. Now, Martin O'Sullivan from the Ag Consultants Association. He's the man behind the Farmer's Handbook and Tax Guide 2024. Going to join me now in just a moment, so stay tuned for that. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. You're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103 for the last part of this evening's programme. And I am joined by Martin O'Sullivan. Uh, Martin is one of the people behind the Farmer's Handbook and Tax Guide 2024. Uh, Martin, many thanks for joining me here on the programme. My pleasure. Uh, You're very well known for your weekly column in the Farming Independent, Martin, and it gives a great insight, I have to say, into issues facing farmers and how it affects the bottom line uh, is always the uh, the crux of it. I, I really like the articles, I must say. They're very user-friendly, great information, and uh, this handbook is kind of like a collection of all your articles, if you will. It really does contain a lot of useful information for people involved in farming and ag- agriculture. Yeah, I suppose, Andre, the, 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 the book originally originated from the fact that I was advising farmers have been for many years uh, on their business and their taxation affairs and what have you. And so over the years, it evolved and reflects the problems I'm coming up against. And so that's why I'd like to think that it's actually a very practical guide for most farmers because it deals with the issues that they're meeting up with every day. 
And those issues, uh, Martin, you've been at this game a, a long time and uh, I'm sure you'll agree as well. They've become meatier and more technical and meatier and more technical as the years go by. Uh, farming now, uh, with everything, with the tax uh, side of things, with the um, accountancy side of things, with all of the red tape, with the Department of Agriculture, like there's an awful lot to know now. Well, since I started, I started as a young agricultural advisor over 40 years ago, and I can tell you things have changed radically. Then the administrative burden increased hugely. Um, at that time, back in the day, there was very little administration, really. It wasn't even tax, believe it or not, when I started. Um, and now we have a myriad of stuff coming at us from all quarters. So the, the job has changed radically, really, in my time. And one of the things you, you do a lot, Martin, and it's your area of expertise, I suppose, and it's the area of agriculture that we talk about a lot, but still try and get people to do something with it is tough enough. It's that whole area of succession. Um, you're dealing with this on a daily basis. Are farmers becoming a little bit more forward thinking in relation to next generation planning? I think so. Yeah, I, I, I certainly have seen a serious upsurge in people seeking advice in the past, I suppose the past 10 years really, it wasn't, it wasn't a big issue up to about 10 years ago. But increasingly over the past 10 years, there seems to be a greater awareness that planning is required and people have to put a bit of thought and effort into you know, what's going to become of what they have uh, after they pass on or even before they pass on. So yeah, I, I think you're right. There certainly is a greater awareness. Is that as a result, uh, Martin, of the increase in dairy farming in the last few years? We've seen a lot more share farming, partnerships, uh, incorporation of companies. Are farmers seeing this, seeing that, look, for the most part, it's working in places and the farms can be, they can be businesses. They don't have to be lifestyles. You don't have to be living in the middle of the farm and it doesn't have to be your entire life. You can actually go there, work for the day, leave it in the evening and treat it like a business. Is there more of a business mindset coming into agriculture? I think so. Yes, I, I think that is the case. Um, you know, look, farmer numbers are shrinking all the time. Farm holdings, as a result, are getting bigger. Um, and I think that, you know, the traditional farm is, I suppose, disappearing, really. It is, it is rapidly becoming a business. And the issues then that farmers are facing, uh, Martin, again, over the course of your career, uh, we're seeing diff- different issues. Uh, what would be something that you're dealing with a lot now that you wouldn't have been dealing with maybe 15, 20 years ago when you, when you were at this work? I, I suppose the whole area of farms, you know, trading structures, you've mentioned it already, you touched on it, farm partnerships, uh, farm companies. Like, you know, there was no such thing, virtually no such thing as farm company 20 years ago. Um, whereas you now certainly an awful lot of the dairy farmers are companies. And are if not their partnerships. So that's something that is relatively new. Um, these sorts of collaborative uh, arrangements or ventures, and that that wasn't there in the past. And that's occupying certainly a lot of my time in terms of advising people in those areas. And as a result of the increase and the upturn in dairy farming, especially in the last number of years, obviously far more money in agriculture, far more money in the family farm now. And usually money means uh, people could end up having disagreements over one thing or another. And uh, it often happens with with land and with uh, family businesses. In your line of things, Martin, you've seen many disagreements then. Look, we talk about the collaborative structures, but when they break down, do people come to you looking for help? 
They do. Um, thankfully, it seems to be, in my experience, um, it's not that common. But I would have to say that, that partnerships between unconnected parties, unfortunately, have a poor history, in my experience. Family partnerships work well within a generation. If they move on to the next generation, generally they don't. Um, so, you know, they're not, partnerships by and large are not a generational thing. Uh, they work well for one generation or maybe between a father and a son, perhaps two brothers, but if it goes on to the next generation, invariably there are problems, certainly in my experience. Uh, so, you know, look at um, like any, you know, in life, <laughs> things never go according to plan, but partnerships tend to run into trouble maybe a little bit more than the guy who remains on his own. And speaking of partnerships then, one of the main partnerships we have in the country, they've been going on a long time now, Martin, and that's marital partnerships. Uh, no doubt, again, with the um, increase, I keep reflecting dairy farming, but it is just you know, the real area of business and the real area where money has been made in the last seven or eight years. But um, usually the spouse is very, very, very busy, uh, milking maybe twice as many cows as the, his father might have been, uh, double the workload, double the money, but double the workload. And uh, this can lead to a lot of strain in the marital relationship. Is this something you're seeing as well in your practice? Absolutely. Yeah. Family law, like we, 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 we are, I won't say heavily involved, but certainly we, we, we're regularly in court on family law cases. They virtually didn't exist 30 years ago, um, whereas now it's a common occurrence. And it's not that marriages didn't break down 30 years ago. They probably did, but people stayed put and they didn't end up in the family law court. Um, but that's what's happening now. And it's sad, but it's not. I don't think it's so much a reflection of the pressures of farming and that. I think it's, you know, we're living in a more liberated era where people are free to come out and say our marriage isn't working, we ought to do something about it. Absolutely. Uh, Martin, hugely interesting. You have a very interesting uh, day job, I have to say, dealing with all of these issues. And um, your, as I said, your weekly article in the Farm and Indo, always very insightful, very interesting. The handbook, the Farmer's Handbook and Tax Guide 2024, if people want to pick it up, a great stocking filler, actually, I have to say, for farmers now, if uh, somebody's looking for a present for the farmer in their life. Where can they pick it up, Martin? Yeah, it's, it's in most bookshops. Um and it can be bought online at www.farmershandbook.ie. Um, yeah, mainly, mainly, mainly the sales nowadays tend to be more online. And they are there online, it's posted out to them. Uh, but the shops are still a good source of sales. Very good. Well, I'd say many thanks for joining me, Martin. And uh, we'll wish you a, a happy Christmas in a couple of weeks' time. And no doubt you'll be busy out writing your articles and informing farmers again in 2024. So many thanks for speaking to me on the programme. You're very welcome, MJ. My pleasure. 
Uh, Martin O'Sullivan there from the Ag Consultants uh, Association and Martin's behind the Farmer's Handbook Tax Guide 2024. That's a really useful little book and if you are looking for a present for the farmer in your life, pick one of those up and it's something that'll be left there on the table, kitchen table, you're having a cup of tea, you flick through it and the amount of info in that little book alone is crazy to be honest with you. I have an old one, I must get a, a new copy now for 2024. That is it for this evening's programme. I would like to thank all of my guests who joined me here over the course of the last hour, quick hour that it was, I have to say, Martin O'Sullivan there from Carrigan Shore uh, spoke to me about the Farmer's Handbook. Hugh Farrell gave us the news on Acres, so fingers crossed you'll get your payment before Christmas. TJ Matter from the IFA about how the department needs to get up and take action to get knackeries open again. And if you have an issue with a fallen animal, contact your DVO. Aidan Brennan from the Farmer's Journal gives a rundown on nitrates and if you are over and under that magic figure of 130, that's going to deem whether you need soil samples or whether you can take in slurry from neighbouring farms. And Martin Coughlin gives a rundown on the cattle trade at the start of the hour. Show is repeated on Sunday morning at 7am until 8am. I'll be back with you this time next week. As always, we'll be a week closer to Christmas and I will speak to you then. Our podcast is available wherever you get your podcast. Type in MJ space Cleary, C-L-E-R-Y, and we will pop up. I'll see you in a week's time. Good night and God bless. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. W. Orshaw.ie